Hey, Fiba. Um, great. We are going to move on this morning with our second on the vision series. Um, let me switch this on. Sharing the vision number two. Before we um, before we go into today's uh, session, which is is going to be about Silver Street Garage, um, I just want to recap a little bit on what we said last week. So, we said last week that as a church, and this is this is probably common to to most churches if they're they're thinking about who they want to be, um, we want to be a church that is a combination of upward looking, so looking towards God. Inward looking, so looking after each other, being pastoral, and outward looking, being missional and going out into the community and hopefully seeing God change lives. That's that's the aim of our church, threefold aim. So we said that there were three kind of key ways that we felt that we should be looking at to implement that vision. Number one is that we want to reach out to the village, and in order to do that, we want to provide a larger building as a resource for the community. So that's what we're talking about this morning, Silver Street Garage. Number two was that we plan to start small groups to help the church community grow spiritually and stay connected, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, and then last week, we talked about um, releasing some resource in the, in the form of part-time church worker. Excuse me. So... We've got these three kind of ways of implementing the vision. And last week I tag-teamed it with Rick. This week I'm tag-teaming it with Morris. And then next week I'll be tag-teaming with, with Roger. So we'll, we'll get these things across. So I wanted to recap that quickly before we start today, just in case you weren't here last week, or just to remind you of, of what it is that we're trying to achieve. So, before we get on to Silver Street, I wanted to start with the Bible this morning. I want to set the scene, basically. And so I was, I was thinking hard about this, and I, I, um, I came up with lots of different um, passages that I could have used. And, and in the end, um, it wasn't really until... It was last night, but it was also this morning, really, when, when God kind of settled in my heart exactly what I should be talking about. So this is, this is the start bit. Um, Mark 12, 28 to 34 tells us about these two great commandments that Jesus was talking about. And he said, first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And so for us, just as it did for this teacher of the law, it begs the question, who is my neighbor? Um, and the answer that, that Jesus gives in this uh, example, in Luke, when, when this teacher of the law comes to him and says, who is my neighbor? Is, um, is not really a straight answer. He gives him a story. And um, you, you probably know the story, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that the, there's a guy riding along on a donkey, and um, I think he's on a donkey, is he? Or he might be walking, I don't know. Anyway, he's traveling from, from, uh, through Israel, and uh, he gets attacked by, by robbers. And um, I remember when I was a kid, me and my brother went to a um, Sunday school at my granny's church, and it was obviously a lot stricter than our church, so being kids we didn't realize this and we were taken down into the into the dungeons of this church the crypt or whatever they call it and um and we were we were taken into sunday school and the teacher said right i want you to act out this play of the good samaritan and so um me and my brother and this other lad who we'd met there went behind this pile of chairs because we were given the task of being the bandits and um some some dear little girl was given the uh, the role of playing this guy that's walking along 
And um, being lads, we thought, right, how can we, how can we get this a bit more uh, fantastic than the actual story? And so it involved a tripod-mounted machine gun and lots of hand grenades. And, um, and I thought this was brilliant. I thought, you know, we're, we're good actors here. We're really um, playing our part well. And uh, this teacher, this Sunday school teacher, went absolutely mental. I've never seen anyone go so cross with kids for, for you know, misinterpreting the Bible. But... <laughs> Never mind, that's, that's all by the by. The point is that if we read this story, um, and it's simplest reading, and there have been lots of complex kind of interpretations of the story of the Good Samaritan, at its simplest level, I think what Jesus is saying is that our neighbours are those in need, and our neighbours are not necessarily those who are from the same group as us. This Samaritan guy is the one that does the rescuing, and he's from a very different cultural group to the guy that he rescues and these two groups were not supposed to be mixing you know they had there's a lot of enmity between these two groups but Jesus is saying to this teacher of the law basically at its simplest level he's saying your neighbors are people in need and your neighbors are not necessarily going to be the people you would normally associate with so that's the kind of definition of neighbor and the second great command as we said is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves so Put simply, when we're reaching out, we want to be good neighbours and we want to see our neighbours find Christ. When I was putting this slide together, I was trying to, I was trying to fill the slide and I thought I could add loads and loads of things and, and do lots of interpretation of that. And when I got there, I just stopped because that really is, is what we're trying to achieve. We want to be good neighbours, we want to reach out, we want to touch people's lives, but we want to see them come to Christ. That's the aim of what we're doing here. You know, there isn't another aim in reaching out. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to get people to come in so that we feel good about having a really big church. We're not trying to get people to come in because uh, they're going to bring money with them. We're not trying to um, tell people what to do because we think we know better. We want people to find Christ because we found Christ and we understand what a good thing that is to be connected to him. Yeah? So that's all we need to do. John, you found a friend. It's great. Yeah, really well. Right. So, some obvious questions when we're thinking about Silver Street. Okay, we said part of our reaching out is that we think that we need to build, not build, but necessarily, but to have a bigger building. We need space to grow. And so that leads to some obvious questions. Why not just use the building we have? why not rent somewhere else in terms of reaching out? Why do we need to, to have a bigger building across the road or across that little alleyway? As I said last week, or I think Rick said it actually, a healthy church is a church that's going to grow because by its nature we're doing the right things, we're reaching out, we're, we're, we're connecting with people and those people are finding faith. And so those people are going to want to join us but not just in worship services. We, we would need a bigger hall to meet in if more people were finding faith and coming to the church. But there's, they'll also want to join us in reaching out into the community. Right, you follow me? So it's not just about a Sunday morning service. It's about all the other things that go on in the week. And there are already times during the week when this building gets double booked because there's more... That not that right, Then there's, there's more going on than, than we've got the space for. And sometimes one group has to shift from in here, out the back, or vice versa. 
because more people want to use this than, than there's space for. And you know what? We've barely started to scratch the surface of ministry in this village. We've barely started at all. And there's so much more that we can do. In September, um, you know, you're probably, you're probably barely aware of this, but I'll just remind you that Joe, you know the student Joe, Joe and Jess, they're getting married this summer. Joe's coming back. He'll have finished his course. Well, he has finished his course now. Um, and he's going to be starting a youth club here, like properly. He's, he's done a couple of sessions already. But it's, it's going to be a proper youth work that's going to get rolling. And that's going to need space to grow, space to develop. And I don't know if you remember Michelle, of Ed and Michelle. Do you, and yeah, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, on Carols by Candlelight, she came up and told us a little bit about life in the Philippines and Christmas over there and that sort of thing. Do you remember her? She's, um, she's come to the leadership and she said, hey, listen, I've got this good idea. I, w- I want to start a kind of physiotherapy group for people that struggle with moving. So it's a kind of stretching and doing exercises type group. And that's going to need space. And Morris has been in consultation with the doctors over the Silver Street site. They'll they're be one of the neighbours to that site. And in talking to the doctors, there might be very real ways that we can um, help them with a building that's adjoining their site in, in, in growing the work that they're doing at a sort of medical level within the village. And all of these things are just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more we could be doing. And I think that we really need that space to do that. So, why not rent it? Why not go to the school and, and rent the school from them? Why not uh, go to one of the other bigger buildings around the village and rent from them? Well, my first answer to that is that we've tried it. You know, over the last couple of years, it, it, was, it was two years ago, really, that, that the church was getting full. And um, most people will tell you that, that in church kind of life, once your church gets 75% full, that's when you need to be expanding uh, the, the physical space because otherwise it's, it's going to stop growing because there just isn't room for people to come in. We got to way more than 75% full. Um, and we looked around the village and we saw all these different kind of buildings and we asked people like at the Elms, at the Downs, um, uh, down at the, the Scout Hut, all these kind of things. We looked at all these different buildings. The school, you know we even tried the school, we've tried the village hall. None of these things has really worked out for lots of different reasons. And so that's led us towards thinking about having a building that we're more in control of. And I think that this is, this is part of God's timing for us as well. And in a moment, we're going we're gonna to look at Jeremiah, and that's really the meat of this, this talk, is to look at Jeremiah, a guy that was offered a piece of land at a crazy time in, in his life and in, in the history of his nation, but when he was offered that land, he knew it was of God, and he knew that, I should, that he should buy it. And that's what we've, we've, we're in that position now. We've, we've, kind of, we've been offered this, this potential to buy this piece of land, and we feel that it's right, it's of God, it's the right time to make that move. But is it a step too far? Is it just too much to kind of overreach ourselves and, and go for something that we, we really don't have the funds in the bank for? Well, I don't think so. And I could have picked out hundreds of stories, but these are the three that I picked out. Abraham, do you remember? He's, he's in a foreign land, and he feels like God's calling him to just uproot himself and move. And he does that. He takes this big step of faith. And great things result. 
we've been looking at Joshua over the last few weeks. He's come to the edge of the River Jordan. He's afraid, but there's this promise of good things ahead. And he goes and he follows that through, and God does amazing things for him. And then the third one, Jeremiah. And it's this one I really want to look at. It's a, it's a good story, this one, and I've come to, back to it several times. Um, do, you, do you know the story of Jeremiah and he buys a field? Do you know this story, some of you? No? Right, so I'll recap it for you a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's a good story for us at this moment. It's also a good story at a wider level, if you're thinking about kind of Britain and, and its place in Europe and all the uncertainty around that. So Jeremiah is in confinement uh, in Jerusalem. He's being put in confinement by his own people because they don't like the message he's giving. And Jerusalem is one of these walled cities in, in Israel at that time, and surrounding it is this huge army from the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is not only sort of in prison from his own people, but he's obviously trapped within this city with this, this army outside of it. And then what happens is that his cousin comes to him and he says, listen, I've got this bit of land. You're, you're my closest relative kind of thing, so I've got to offer it to you first. Do you want to buy it? And it seems like a really stupid thing to do. The country's about to be taken over. They know what's going to happen. The, the army's going to come in and they're going to take everyone away. There's, there's not going to be a nation as such there anymore. They've, they've disobeyed the, the, their kind of overlords, these Babylonians, and the Babylonians are going to punish them for it. But Jeremiah sees, when this guy comes to him with this offer, he sees, this is of God, this is the moment, this is what I need to do. And you know, he does it, right? And then this is the interesting thing, he does it, and then he prays about it. He says, uh, what's, what does all this mean, God? And that's where I'm going to pick up the story for you before I hand over to Morris. In Jeremiah 32, if you want to look this up later, or if you want to follow it along now, this is what I want to read to you. Jeremiah 32, starting at verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show your steadfast love to thousands but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them O great and mighty god whose name is the lord of hosts great in counsel and mighty indeed whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds you have shown signs and wonders in the land of egypt and to this day in israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day You brought your people out of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. So, fantastic. It's a faith-filled prayer. Um, I don't know if if you've been in a church a while, do you remember there used to be a song that went along with those words? Anyone remember it? Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens. Yeah, where that, where that song doesn't take you then is, is the next bit of his prayer, which is, as he continues, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. 
And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Okay, so there's, there's a kind of, there's a but. So he started off, hello. He started off with this, this amazing prayer of faith. Uh, well, to be honest, he starts off with a bit of a, ah, oh, God, what are you doing? And then he prays this amazing prayer of faith. And then he goes on and he says, but all this bad stuff's going to happen. And then here's God's answer to him. And this is really why we, we could sing that song, because it's a justification for the song. Verse 26, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings were made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, Judah that they provoke me to anger. Their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that this sh- they should do this abomination to cause sin to Judah. So it's a pretty negative start, a pretty negative answer to, to what... Um, Jeremiah's asking of God, saying, what's this all about? I know this bad stuff's going to happen. What, help me to understand it. And God says, yeah, you're right, this bad stuff's going to happen. But then, as usual, there's a but right at the end that makes this kind of, um, it makes it possible to sing about our God being able to do anything, about nothing being impossible for him. Because God says this then, they shall be my people, I will be their God. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Therefore, uh, sorry, behold, I will gather them from all countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I'll make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart, with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, Just as I have brought all this great disaster upon the people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. 
Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Sephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Do you get that? I know it's a long reading, but I felt it was, it's important that we read the word of God sometimes. It's not just me speaking or someone else speaking, but it's God speaking through his word. It was an unsettled time. It was a, it was a, a dangerous time. It was a time when it wouldn't be sensible to invest. It wasn't a time when you would go and buy land. But God says, no, this is the time to buy and it, Jeremiah obeys him in a prophetic act. And he obeys him without understanding it. And then afterwards he asks him, what was that all about? Explain it to me. And God says, yeah, it is going to be unsettled, but there's good coming and I will make this happen. The, the message is really, nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is impossible for him. If God says do something, then we can do it trusting that he's going to make it happen. If God says, I want you to, to spend millions doing something, then we trust him that he can, he can make it happen. It doesn't matter what the figure is. If God says, go and do something, then we go and do it. We can trust him. All right. Morris, will you come up and share a few of the details, please, of the, uh, the Silver Street site? I was away last week, and of course, you can't trust the leadership team, they let it out the bag. So my presentation is based on nobody knew about Silver Street. <laughs> oh well, we'll move on from there. Um, I really just wanted to uh, re-emphasise what Tom's been saying about the vision, um, and who's responsible for that vision. Um, just to set it in context, is the leadership team set the spiritual vision for the church. But obviously that involves all of you having your say, your comments, whatever God tells you. So it's just don't leave it to these guys to do it every week. You know, put your input in as well. And I think it's important to know who the leaders are because I was asked that question this week. Um, oh, I didn't know that. So, um, just to give you some idea of who are the four guys and uh, who you should talk to if you've got any things from the Lord that you want to include in what we're doing. But in terms of supporting the vision, there's three others. And that's the trustees, Frida. Tom is our link from the leadership team. And then I'm involved as well. And our biggest problem, as Tom has mentioned, is, and this is where it's, you're already there, um, has anybody got any... Well, it's obvious what the answer is. I won't bother. Space. So <clears throat> I thought of, well, for, so I got looking at this problem and thought, well, what's the first thing we should do? We've got a bit of space outside there. 
So, oh, unfortunately, the sound's not working. Now we can get hold of Tardis, but and the other thing is we have great difficulty getting volunteers for Friday coffee and for the brew crew. So to get volunteers for the poo crew, <laughs> clearing the portaloos every week would rule out that process. So what was the other solution? And the other solution, does anybody recognise this? Well, now, of course, the genie's out the bottle, so you all know where this is. This is Silver Street. So Silver Street is the little alleyway that runs from Stone Drive behind the church. And at the end of that is this superb building <laughs> that's been there since 19... diddly did. Um, <clears throat> this is Silver Street Motors. I don't know, most people in the village use them because they're low cost. And this is the actual plan, it's not very good, but in red is the site with access from Silver Street. And Frieda and I originally spoke to them. And what you've got there, again, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not very good, but basically you've got a thousand square feet with a little office and a little toilet and wash facility. A thousand square feet relates to both this room and the back room together. It's slightly more than these two rooms put together. So it's a quite a step forward in space. Um, there is a bit of refurbishment to do. There's a, <laughs> there's a hydraulic uh, ramp to get taken out, and we'll probably drill it, cut a hole in the floor and make a baptistry. Um, so we had to go forward then. About three weeks ago, we put in... And, and the reason we've gone... We've been quiet and... Sec not secretive, but we've gone along very quietly doing this, was we didn't want everybody in the village to know what was going on because the site is valuable for building. Um, and there is a, one person um, who has, who's responsible for a company that could be interested in developing the site because they own the two cottages either side of the site. So we had to be a bit careful and get the two owners of Silver Street on site and agreeing that the church is where they want to sell the business to. So... As part of that, we had to put in a pre-planning application because it's a change of use. Um, and that's been in three weeks and we're still waiting for a response from Herefordshire County Council. But the plan that we put in, and difficult to see possibly, was to take the site, knock out the office, remove the toilet and extend it slightly to put in two toilets and a kitchen. So maintaining the fact we've still got a more than 1,000 square feet of usable space once it's been refurbished. System failed. So what we've arranged is, and we're just about to sign, is an option agreement, um, which we're paying a small deposit of £10,000 for, and we've got a six months option, exclusive option, to buy the site. Um, if for any reason the planning, because we'll have to go to a full planning application, fails, and we don't think it will because of the change of use from a greasy garage to a 
pristine religious establishment um, should get through. And um, if it doesn't, then part of that deposit is refundable. So we've tried to re mitigate the risk. Um, in addition to that option, that, uh, we've got an extension as well included in the option of three months. As a, as a problem, if there's any problem with the planning, then we can extend our option for a further three months. The guesstimate on the cost is £300,000. Basically, the site is 200000 We put in 50000 for the refurbishment work and a further 50000 including contingency, for the fitting out toilet, kitchen, um, dais, stage, or whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> and the time scale if it all goes to plan it would be early in 2017 now I've been talking to the doctors um, about <clears throat> one using their car park as an overspill and they're very happy to do that um, they're also very supportive about what we're doing because it gives them a capability of a space close by that they could possibly use. There is, would you believe, NHS funding for such work, which uh, I can't quite believe, but, um, but they're going to support it, and it just appears to be um, a good idea to get anything we do underwritten by the two doctors, because that will stimulate the village as I see it. But also, taking on from what Tom's been talking about, um, good neighbour, they are... We had a first meeting about a good neighbour scheme in the village as well as um, some way of identifying family carers that need health checks and some of those people can't even get out because of the, the caring. So there is a process of going ahead at the moment where the doctors, the surgery wants to be the focus of this um, support for carers but also a good neighbour service which could be implemented by a single phone number in the village. So anybody wanting a car, or a doctor, or whatever, can just call one number. Um, so we're looking into that, and that's ongoing process. But we've got the doctors behind us in terms of what we're going to do over there. One of the things the doctors did say was, let's make this a challenge for the village, because the village hasn't had any many challenges of recent years, and maybe that we could get the whole village involved in the funding. But obviously we've got to discuss that and review whether that's the way forward. But that's their process, and as I say, if we get them to sign off on anything, then it obviously gives it a bit more impact in the village. But if it's ourselves, the big one, gift aid, is very important. The 25p in the pound is vital. Uh, also, if we can get it as a village facility, we may be able to get a concession on VAT, which is a considerable amount of money. Uh, and there are lots of grants and loans out there for community refurbishment, rebuilding facilities. So it may be that this becomes Colwall Stone Village Hall, number two, um, with uh, religious activities on a Sunday. I, I don't know. I mean, that's all in the pot at the moment. 
to decide how to go forward. Now's your chance. Silence is agreement. Yeah. It's slightly wider. It's about seven meters wider, and this is about five meters. <clears throat> and uh, so the, the total floor area is that much bigger. It is slightly wider. It's about 1,100 square feet, as this is about 990 the two. Yeah, well, we could do that electronically for anything we wanted to do electronically. That's fairly easy. Plus, the good thing is it's got gas, electric, uh, water, sewage, and telephone already in the building. Times two of what we got. I said 100 people, really. At least 100, yeah. So... Oh, no, designs. We, we've got to get, um, I wouldn't say an architect, because I think that's a bit over the top expense-wise. But there are building technicians that could do the drawings, I'm sure, of what we want to do, because it's a fairly simple step. But obviously, I've had a build around to look at it to get me a, a rough cost of the refurb, and his first attitude was, well, we could sell this for three hundred to 350000 for the building. I said, oh, that's good. <laughs> Um, but obviously that's not on the but that's the sort of way the builders are thinking because you could get four houses on there so um, I don't think it's a, an asset that um, is not it's a valuable asset for the church but obviously it's nothing that we can realise is the problem You don't, you don't have to come up with lots of um, feedback at the moment. You know, we've got three, well, we've got a week left, I suppose, really, of this vision kind of sharing. But feedback to us over this period. And then, as we said, there's going to be this barbecue at um, Robin Sylvia's on the 17th of July, which is a kind of another chance if you haven't yet sort of mulled things over or, or said what you feel you need to say. There's another chance there to kind of bring any views that you might have on any of this vision. So, don't feel like you've, you've got to say something now or you're not going to get heard. There's plenty of opportunity to, to kind of mull things over and then come back to the leadership. Um, I think... Have you, do you need to say any more? No, no, no. Are you sure? Yeah. You I'm stay up here if you want. No, I it's don't. It's nice to have the company. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know this morning's been really wordy and there's been a lot of speaking and... Um, that's just the nature of, of what we're, we're trying to impart. So I thought I'd just do a very quick kind of summary this morning in case you kind of like just feel bombarded with everything. Um, there's, there's kind of five takeaway messages I think we need to take away from this morning. All right, simply. Number one, this is not a done deal, okay? We haven't committed you to buying this, this plot over here. It's not a done deal. All we've done is try and protect ourselves against anyone stealing it from underneath us, okay? So... Number one, don't feel that we're railroading anyone into this. This is not a done deal. Number two, in case you're wondering, 
I really think that we would retain this current building. That's our plan, would be to retain this and to have that so we've got more space and more uh, community facilities and we've got this frontage onto the high street. And you know something that was, was really interesting when I was, you know, last week I started off talking about some of the history of this site and, and how it came to be. Do you know why this site is so long and narrow? It's because this was always intended to be a tramway from that site out to the station. It was always a route. This was like a pathway down to that site. And now we're built on this. It's, you can read what you want into that, but to me it just felt like a nice kind of synergy, something that almost a little bit prophetic, that this, this church is built on the pathway to that site. And if we, if we one day have it, then then it kind of, it all fits, you know, there's, there's, there's a kind of synergy there. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Good. Huh? Mm-hmm. That's right. There, I think there is a prophetic message here, and that's why I wanted to share from Jeremiah about his prophetic message behind stuff. So number one, it's not a done deal. Number two, we would retain this current building. Number three, really important that we see this as something for the community. This is not about building a bigger church. This is not about us getting insular 